Thank you. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28, please. And we'll be go, going there just to get us started here, a tremendous verse of Scripture. And uh, the graduates, of course, uh, singing. That's great uh, to see them here. It's hard to believe sometimes. I think, wow, is it already for time for them to graduate? Then others like Garrett, you're thinking, oh, it's about time. Okay, so, uh, but um, he's, I don't think he was in here. Okay, so... Um, that's all right. I love Garrett. I tell you what, he bailed us out this fall. We needed to have a sub come in when uh, David Ola hurt his knee, and uh, Garrett uh, willingly came in, literally an hour's notice, hopped in the car and drove over to an airport and flew in. And so I really, I tease him, but I really do appreciate him. Okay, well, it is uh, great to um, uh, come to the end of the year. I know many of you are excited. Uh, how many of you have um, some relatives or family members or friends that are coming to graduation that you know either are lost or have spiritual need, a serious spiritual need? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, there's several of you. Let's be praying for each other. I know graduation is an unusual time. It's not a time usually where we obviously with invitation and thing, but it's uh, a time when uh, obviously the, the seed can be either planted or watered. And I certainly hope you'll pray about that. The Lord give leadership and to use the service uh, for His honor and glory. Obviously, there's people to be there that don't normally come. And we're certainly wanting God to do accomplish that. And I, I really encourage you on prayer. I, I was uh, telling, I think, Will Henderson, we just at his home church down there in South Carolina. And I've always had good meetings there, but uh, this was unusual. I mean, it, Sunday was not done before I said there's something different about this church. And I'm going to tell you what it is. Prayer. That's what's different. In other words, there's a more, uh, there was more prayer going on. And uh, you could tell the difference. And I thank the Lord for that. And I've been several churches have really uh, emphasized prayer. And every time I see that journey, that is such an excitement. And I think that's one of the reasons we had some really encouraging meetings was because uh, they were preceded by serious prayer, expectant prayer. And uh, so I'm excited about what God is certainly doing. And uh, so let's pray for this uh, final service that's uh, uh, of the school year uh, that Lord will meet with us and encourage us. Okay, we're going to go and uh, just deal with something here in our final chapel. We'll always come to those final chapels. And uh, again, this is uh, other than Friday morning, this will be the last chapel we'll have with this particular chemistry. And uh, then we have the seniors march off and uh, got a new rank coming in. And I mean, I, uh, they um, you know, sent me the officers, and I'm thinking, man, a bunch of kids out of the nursery. What are we going to do? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> got just brand new leadership. No, I'm just teasing. But anyway, uh, so, but you know what will happen? Uh, they'll rise to the challenge. If they'll trust God, uh, they will rise to the challenge and be exactly what uh, the student body needs next year. Hope you pray for your fellowship leadership. Uh, that God will give them wisdom, and uh, certainly uh, just exciting times always is. Well, what I, what I want to preach on is something that uh, you've probably heard a little bit from, but I just want to remind you because it's one of the things that really knocks college students who have a heart for God. Look at verse 26, uh, Proverbs 28, and notice what it says. He that trusteth in his own heart, could you tell me what he is? Is a fool. Now, that is strong language. I don't know about you, but more than once in my life as I've read the Bible, I've read a statement like that, and I've had to my, say to myself, you know what? I've been a fool. Because that's always the beginning of reclamation is to agree with God. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. I think this morning some of you are going to need to, at the invitation, say, God, I'm a fool because you said I am. Because I trust in my own heart. Now, what does it mean to trust in your own heart? Proverbs 19, 21 puts it this way, There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So what I want us to deal with is this particular problem of, um, how do I put this? Young people who trust in their own heart. 
In other words, some of your Christian life is more like a roller coaster. Boy, I'm telling you, you come to the Victory Conference, you're up here. And then a few weeks later, about test time, you're down in the valley. And you, you, you're up and down in your Christian life. There's moments you're walking with God. There's moments you're in despair. And you're saying, I need to even this thing out. In other words, we got to get more consistent. Well, the problem is, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're up and down in your Christian life, it's because you trust your own heart. And God says it's a very foolish thing to do. And yet in youth, and even adults for that matter, but particularly youth, that is very easy to do. In other words, you determine reality by experience. Instead of determining experience by reality. You say, what are you talking about? Well, you know, experience does not always, is not always real. You can have an experience that is an illusion. Now, let me explain this if I can. I know this is a kind of a crazy illustration, but... Um, I, I, my fear, I'm going to just give my number one fear. Many of you know this. My number one fear is heights. <laughs> I do not like heights at all. Okay, how many can identify with me? Okay, great, great. You guys, I'm sure, are brilliant people. But anyway, um, I remember one time I uh, went up to the Sears Tower. I know you call it, the, some people call it the Willis Tower. I still call it the Sears Tower. But anyway, I went up to the top of the Sears Tower and went over to the edge, looked down, and I thought for a moment they were going to have to put me in the funny farm. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just, I thought, I mean, I just completely just, you know, I just was just had this fear overwhelm me. So I'm going back to the elevator shaft, hanging on the elevator shaft. When are we going down? You know what I'm talking about? Couldn't wait to go down. Spent all the money. Who cares? I'm not interested in getting up that high. Now, put me in an airplane. I didn't bother me at all. But if it's attached to planet Earth, I don't like it. I just do not like it. I don't like heights. It just is what it is. I don't like the upper deck of a ball game park, and I mean, I just don't. And I've been in some of those things where I'm just having to concentrate on the ball game and forget how high I am. Okay, so some of you can identify now. I, I'll be honest with you. I think the fear of heights is, you know, it's a good fear to have because I've seen people you know, like do this, you know, looking down, and of course, if they fell, they die. Okay, you know, I'm thinking that's, you know, dumb, stupid. Okay, so uh, fear of heights is a good fear. Some of you guys, you'll never admit it, but the truth is, yeah, you're afraid of the dark. Okay, but anyway, that's a bad fear to have because sleep with the nightlight's not good for you. Okay, but anyway, so um, some of you are afraid of snakes. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody throws a rubber snake at you. You jabber like an idiot and uh, scream and yell and all that kind of fun stuff. Okay, so we all have fears. Mine's heights. Okay, now, there's this ride that I really, really like, and it's a simulation of hang gliding. And, uh, I mean, it really makes you feel like you are hang gliding. It's unbelievable. And uh, it's a big, huge concave lens, so no matter where you are in the whole configuration, you feel like you're in the center of it. It's just uh, interesting technology. And the very opening scene is because they pull you up, uh, they, have you, they load you up, and then like this, and there's levels uh, where the seats are, and you're in a seat that kind of feels like a hang glider. You get something over you, and, uh, and you're, you're, you're flying. You first fog disperses, and right there is the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, you're hundreds of feet above the Pacific Ocean, and they blow wind in your face, so you actually feel like you are there. I mean, everything inside of you is completely fooled, if you know what I'm talking about. And every time that happens, and I've written it several times, you know what happens? <laughs> I get afraid. But the, po the point is, if I were to fall off of that, that little bench, you know what would happen? I'd drop five feet and sprain my ankle. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> In other words, I'm completely safe. No big deal. And then I could sue the company, get a lot of money. And so, you know, not, that's reality. Reality is I'm not in danger. And if I were to fall, it would be good. And I could endow the school with a lot of money and all that kind of thing. That's good. Okay, so... Um, 
But uh, you don't feel like that. You don't feel like you're five feet above the ground. You feel like you're hundreds of feet above the ground. And there's another one where you're coming on, on this mountain and people are skiing, snow skiing down this mountain, and you go over the mountain and this huge valley. You're thousands of feet above the ground. And it's the same thing. You, 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 I grip onto the thing, you know, real tight, you know. And, you, and sometimes they even tilt the thing forward like that, you know, just to freak you out. You know what I'm talking about? And they have Blue Angel jets fly by and the thing shakes, you know, with the sonic boom. And it's very sensory, very sensory. And here's my whole point. That entire ride, I am not in danger at all. There's no way I'm in danger. They're not going to want to get sued. Okay, I'm not in danger. Okay, I know that in my head. I know that intellectually. But the point is, during the ride, there are certain times, and I've ridden it several times, I know what's coming, and even when it comes, I have the same experience. That sinking feeling in your gut, gripping the thing tight, and feeling like I, I, I could drop out of this thing to my death. Okay, now, even though I intellectually know it's not true, the experience is so immersive and so good at I mean, there's times they fly over an orange grove and it smells like oranges. I mean, it's a very immersive that there's many times you're fooled. Even though you know better, you have a tendency, your experience does not line up with reality. You getting with this on me on this? See? Now, what you have to understand is that's exactly what often happens in our Christian life. We know in the Bible certain things, we're dead to sin, alive in the God, there are certain things we know, except that when the experience comes and the illusion comes and Satan weaves around us the temptation, whatever it may be, we get fooled by the illusion, even though we know better. And what happens is we have a tendency to believe the immersive illusion than we do the reality. I'm only five feet above the ground. I'm not in danger. But we have a tendency to believe the immersive illusion because it seems so real, now, that is your Christian life, friends. Many times, and I've used this before, so let me use it again. How many out here have ever been discouraged? How many out here have ever been discouraged? In the last, since the Victory Conference. Okay, the truth is probably all of us. Now, what happens when you're discouraged? What happens when you're discouraged, it seems very immersive, doesn't it? The illusion seems very real. You say, well, Richard, really is my fault. I mean, I didn't study, you know, and, and I, I didn't study for the ROK or whatever. I didn't study for the test. I bombed and I'm discouraged. Why did I do that? Okay, I, I, even if you cause the illusion, in other words, you cause the situation, I want to ask you a question. When you're in that discouragement, is God discouraged about what you're going through? And the answer is no. Even when you fail, God is saying, okay, you failed, but I can teach you through this. There's something I want you to learn. Because failure indicates just that, failure. So God wants to teach us why we failed so we don't do it again. Read Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul says, the good that I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Do you catch his angst here, folks? And you know the great thing I love about Romans 7? This is going to shock you. It precedes Romans 8. Isn't that unbelievable? Probably glad you came to chapel today. Okay, but the point is, if you know much about Romans 8, it's the chapter of victory. Now, how did Paul get to victory? I'll tell you how he got to victory. He learned the lessons God wanted him to lose when he failed. Uh, 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 he, fail. he learned, I'm weak. In me, as in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And he learned, he's strong. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. <laughs> He's the way I, I get delivered from the body of this death. So you see that Romans 7 was not valueless. Even in the midst of failure and personal failure and personal problems in his own life, the good that I would, I do not. I mean, do you ever feel that way? 
I know I should study, but I don't. And I know I shouldn't waste my time, but I do. And okay, etc. And God's saying, okay, you need to learn. You need to learn. But God's not in heaven wringing his hands and thinking, oh, that kid at BCM, I don't think I can solve his problems. You think God's up there doing that? See, God is not in angst about your, uh, your situation. You may be, but he's not. In fact, he's saying, okay, I got this over here. I can work this here. Okay, they'll learn this here. And he's got it all figured out. So what is discouragement? Discouragement is believing in immersive experience that comes from the enemy and doubting reality, which is from God. So all I'm simply saying, when you do that, I know this kind of sounds blunt, but you know what God says you are? A fool. Because you are interpreting reality through your sensory, through the experience, and you are not interpreting reality through the Word of God. Now, let's just be honest, friends. There are cycles in life, and different things happen, and you know, sometimes we just blame the girls for, you know, they, you know they, they get down. But, you know, a lot of guys get down. And some of you know what I'm talking about. It's just predictable. You have moments where you just get discouraged. And the point is, is when you get discouraged or when you get down or when you sense God's a million miles away, the problem is you're believing the immersive illusion. And you're not believing reality. You say, well, preacher, how do I get my experience and reality together again? You always get experience and reality together again when you believe reality, even if you don't feel it. <laughs> See, that's what the word reckon or the word account is all about in the word of God. That's exactly what it's about. Now, now it's something else we need to introduce into here because we're talking about we obviously in our culture, we assimilate reality, uh, at least what we determine to be reality, through the five senses. Okay, so pretty much your five senses kind of help you uh, understand what you think to be real. Thus, why when I'm on that particular ride and I've got wind blowing in my face and it looks like I'm uh, hundreds of feet above the, the ground, uh, that's, it's, it's, it's immersive. And I certainly, my five senses are telling me you're high and you're in trouble and you're in danger. When my head is telling me, no, I'm not. This is just an illusion. Okay, now with that understanding, there's one other dynamic we need to introduce before we kind of bring this together, and that is this. How does God, um, how does God communicate with us? And the answer is in the Spirit. God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him. Hang on, in, in Spirit and in truth. Okay, now let's just focus on the Spirit. When you, before you got saved, your Spirit, of course, before the man fell, the Spirit was how... Uh, the communication, of course, when man fell into sin, that was the spirit um, that couldn't connect with God anymore. There was a gap between us and God. And, of course, regeneration, when you get saved, Holy Spirit moves in and regenerates the spirit. So that is where you meet God, in the spiritual realm, which means the sensory is not where you meet God. Now, don't get me wrong. The spirit can affect the sensory. The old-timers used to call that our emotions, our intellect, our mind. They called it the circumference. What they're talking about, that's that which is around reality, which is in our spirit, our regenerated spirit. Now, the regenerated spirit is where you meet God. I was just preaching to the young people here in the, in the high school, and I put it this way. The greatest thing about Christianity, it really is, there's nothing better. The greatest thing about Christianity is Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, it's that fellowship with him. Now, I may have used this before, but pardon the repetition, but certainly aids the point here. Um, remember watching that little video clip of Tom Brady and I may have referenced this even recently, but he um, was talking about the, uh, uh, the guy was interviewing him. I think I did a little 
looking back on it, I think he had won three Super Bowls. Um, and uh, he's, he's talking to Tom Brady, and he basically says, Tom, I mean, you're on the top of the world. How many have seen that little clip? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, a few of you. Man, you're on the top of the world. And I mean, how does it feel? I mean, the announcer's just in awe of what he's accomplished. And uh, it's just such a stunning video because Tom Brady looks back, and you can just see his face is troubled. He says, there's got to be something more. Now, I will be honest with you. This is going to shock you. I will never quarterback a Super Bowl team. Did you know that? <laughs> and looking at you, you won't either. <laughs> None of us are ever going to quarterback a Super Bowl team. Nobody. Now, Tom Brady not just has success. Now, most of us would look, man, if you quarterbacked a Super Bowl team, that would be the pinnacle of success. Wouldn't our world say that? Yeah. Oh, that's it. Does Tom Brady just have success? No. He's got something else. Money. You ever heard of it? I mean, he's got lots of it. Of course, when you're in college, you don't have any. Okay, so uh, money. He's got, he can, listen, he can eat anywhere, anytime. He can do anything he wants to do. Nothing is too expensive for Tom Brady. He can go to the Caribbean, rent the nicest house. He can go scuba diving. He can do whatever he wants. He can eat Taco Bell. Of course, he wouldn't want to do that. He'd die early. But anyway, he could eat anywhere he wants to eat all the time. He could do that. He's got money. He has got what the world would simply say is the greatest success ever, and yet the truth is, you know what he says? There's got to be something more. And you know what you and I would say? Tom, you're exactly right. Because fulfillment and reality in life is not on what success. It's not even, on, obviously, it's not on money. We all know that what Tom Brady is talking about, he has no idea what he's talking about. Well, what he's talking about is what you know, and that is when you meet with God in the human spirit, you know that is the epitome of living. When Jesus Christ manifests his presence to you, you know that is what God made me to do, to meet with God. Because it's in that quiet place, meeting with God, that is the highest point of fulfillment and satisfaction in the human existence. Now, I hope you're tracking with me. If you're out here not tracking with me, keep listening because you can, you can understand this. Okay, so what we're talking about is certainly spiritual. So what we're, we're talking about is not sensory, it is spiritual. So how do we get the, the presence of God to line up with the, 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 the manifest presence of God so that our experience lines up with reality. Is, is God live in us? And the answer is, yeah, he does. But, you know, sometimes he, he feels like he's a long way off. Now, here's the problem, friends. Many of you still live your Christian life not by the word of God. You live it by how you feel. If you feel close to God, I am close to God. If you don't feel close to God, I'm not close to God. And that is not the way it is. It's not the feeling that determines you're close to God. It's what God says is reality determines whether or not you're close to God. Now, let me illustrate it this way if I can. And I've used this illustration before, but I'm just kind of trying to tie this together, hopefully in a way that will help you, because I really do want to help you. And I want you to get consistent in your walk with God. And um, let me just, just say this before I get to that particular illustration, because I think some of you out here, you know you've met with God. Certain times you've met with God. Just have met with God and known it. And I will tell you that the times I met with God in college are so sacred I don't even talk about them. They're so sacred. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You can barely talk about it because it's such a sacred moment when God meets with you. Uh, those are very important moments in your high, school, uh, your, high, excuse, your high school or college, but your college years particularly. I know they were defining for me. So um, you understand the reality of the spiritual. I hope everybody does. 
You ever been a prayer meeting when you knew God was there? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been in corporate prayer meetings, you knew God was there. Some of you had personal time with God, you knew God was there. So you say, well, preacher, what do I do when I don't feel like God is there? What do I do then? Okay, that's the, the, what I want us to address here. Because um, it is a spiritual reality, and it's not assimilated through the senses, though obviously spiritual reality can move from the spirit to affect the soul. It doesn't go the other way. Okay, the soul to the spirit. No, it goes spirit, affects soul, etc. You've got shivers up your spine when you're he hearing how that great thou art because you got so stirred in your spirit. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Okay, now, uh, here's the illustration. My, um, my uncle, uh, Jim Stoutenborough, I asked the high schoolers how many remembered him and nobody did, which kind of was sad to me. I didn't realize he's been gone that long. But how many of you, anybody here remember Jim Stoutenborough? Okay, some of you do, not many, even here, okay? He was a phenomenal song leader. I mean, he could take a thousand teenagers and have them singing at the top of his lungs, uh, their, their lungs, not his. He didn't sing. But anyway, um, it was phenomenal. Now, the amazing thing about my uncle is um, he couldn't sing. I mean, if he did sing... You know, you know how some people, they get off note, but at least they're in harmony? My uncle wouldn't be in harmony, you know what I'm talking about? It's like I was sitting in church a couple of days ago, the church, visiting church, and I just loved it. The guy behind me is singing at the top of his lungs. And I want to tell you something, he didn't hit all the notes, you know what I'm talking about? Many of them were not the right notes, they were even, they were dissonant notes. I just loved it. I mean, just singing, is, I mean, it's just, it's then the pastor told me, he says, yeah, we got a lady in our choir. She uh, never hits the right note, the only problem is she doesn't know it. Okay, that's kind of bad. Okay, I guess it's better that way. That was my uncle. I mean, he just couldn't sing. He could not sing. But he could lead singing. Well, um, when he was 16 years old, he... Um, did something probably none of you have ever done. He built an airplane. Literally got bought a package, a kit. Now, I'm not talking about a model airplane. I'm talking about an airplane that you fly in. He built it, and he um, put, uh, got a license. I don't know that you could do this today. At 16 years old, he got a pilot's license so he could fly. And he would fly all over, you know, the, you know he'd come from home from school and get in a plane and fly, if you can imagine that. That'd be a different life, wouldn't it? And uh, so um, uh, he, 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 was, he told me, he said, Jim, it was a miracle. I, I'm named after him, actually. I've never flown, but uh, uh, I'm named after him, Jim, uh, James Parker Stoutenborough. But anyway, um, he would dive bomb farmers. There'd be a farmer out there, you know, plowing his field, you know, like that. And he'd go into, and... And when the guy jumped off his tractor, then he'd pull out of it. You can imagine he probably wasn't real popular there in town. You know, just, just an amazing guy. It really was. And, and another thing he would do is he'd, he'd fly under bridges. You know, there's not a lot of, you know, error under a bridge. He'd like that under a bridge. And... Um, well, he got, uh, and now you have to understand, he, he didn't have parents. His, his dad died, I think, when he was 16. And so um, there was no one there to, to be a, a word of warning, you know, talk about, hey, son, I don't think you should do that. Okay, none of that. So uh, he's just kind of on his own. Well, got a little bit older, and, and one day uh, an evangelist, uh, I think it was the late Dr. Bill Rice, was called, doing a revival meeting, and he, he came late to the meeting. And when he came late, uh, like an hour late, he preached, and he then said, okay, who was the song leader? I want to know who the song leader. He says, those people were so fresh, i got to know who the song leader was. And the song leader was Jim Stoutenborough, which began a lifelong friendship with Jim Stoutenborough. And for a while, my uncle would, uh, in the Midwest would fly to revival meetings and lead the scene. 
Uh, they called him the flying farmer because he would farm during the day, and then at the end of the day, he'd get an airplane, fly over to the revival meeting, and he says more than once, they had to pull him in a back window to lead singing because the church was jammed. And uh, he would lead the singing. This is years ago. And there's little uh, bills with the fly, you know, leading the singing, the flying farmer. And uh, so now he would obviously uh, then in the morning, as soon as light dawn, he'd get in his airplane, fly back, farm during the day, and do it again. Okay, no one do that all the time, but he would do that from what I understand some of the time. And so, um, uh, but as he got older, he got a little wiser. That happens. You know, it usually happens. That's why young people are Democrats. They get older, become Republicans. But anyway, got a little wiser on that deal. And uh, so uh, he decided to get his instrument rating. I remember as a little boy, my uncle getting his instrument rating, which means now he could fly at night. Now, before he couldn't. If he got fogged in, he had land. Of course, if dusk, he had the land. And uh, all that. He could only fly by eyesight, by his senses, or by, they call it uh, air flying, by the seat of your pants. Okay, so... Um, but now I got a little older and got, uh, you know, figured out he's got to figure out how to do this. So uh, he uh, learned his instrument rating and could fly at night, could fly in fog, and in some storms that obviously weren't electrical, he could fly as well. And uh, now when he flew in, in, at night or at storms, he would basically tell you it's extremely boring because you're flying by the instrument panel. It's not exciting at all. It's like flying in a flight simulator. Who wants to do that? And so, uh, but it's very important because if you don't, you die. That's a good motivation. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> In fact, literally, years ago, there was a pastor of the Market Manor Baptist Church who was with some of his deacons on a hunting trip, I think, in Minnesota or maybe in Wisconsin, and they thought they were right side up, but they were upside down. And the best everybody can tell, they thought, because they thought they were upside, uh, uh, right side up, they evidently didn't believe the instrument panel. And they were coming toward a mountain, so they were going to pull up to go above the mountain, and they literally went like this, into the ground. Simply because they did not believe the instrument panel. Now, I'm going to say this reverently because what happened to them is a great tragedy. We're not minimizing it all. That's why some of you spiritually crash and burn. Because you do not believe the instrument panel. And you know what God says? You're a fool. Now, I hope you're getting what I'm talking about because right now, right here, I'm holding in my hand the instrument panel. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The way you know reality is not primarily how you feel. It's the instrument panel. And if you'll fly by the instrument panel, you will find that your experience will, in time, come in line with the instrument panel. But if you fly by the instrument panel, you will not be on a spiritual roller coaster with ups and downs. You will always be up. If you fly, because I want to ask you, does God's reality ever change? And the answer is no. What happens is our perception of reality changes. We buy into the illusion. We all of a sudden, the immersion of the illusion is so powerful to us, we, we are gripped with fear, just like I do, and I was, and grab that seat in fear that I'm about to fall into the ocean, hundreds of feet below. When I know that's not true, but that's, I buy into the immersion of, of the illusion. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you did it this week. Some of you did it right after your ROK. <laughs> Okay, in other words, oh, you know, life's falling apart. Okay, so you have to retake it. Okay, maybe God has a purpose for that. Maybe you need to learn something. God says, learn it in Romans 7 so you can move on to Romans 8. That's what he's saying. Even your failure, God wants you to learn by it. Even if there's discipline, God wants you to learn by it. Not get discouraged. Uh, so, say, so, okay, well, I'm going on in life, and all of a sudden, I'm just enjoying the presence of God. I mean, the spiritual reality of Jesus Christ. And preacher, I don't even understand it. Just this fog rolls into my life. 
So what do you do? And the answer is this. You go to the instrument panel. Now, don't miss this. Because when you go, why you say, Richard, why does God bring fog into my life? I don't like the fog. I'll tell you why he brings fog into your life. It's because you were determining reality by your experience, and God says, nope, 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 nope. You've got to determine reality by what I say. So he brings in the fog to get your eyes off of the experience and back on the instrument panel. You see, friend, God always wants reality to be your focus, not your experience. Are you dead to sin in Jesus? Are you alive in the God in Jesus? Are you exalted at the right hand where he blesses us with all spiritual blessings in Jesus? Are you far above the enemy right now in Jesus? Wow, this is unbelievable. That's all real. This is not pie-in-the-sky theology. This is real. But we don't live like it. Why? We buy into the immersion and the illusion. And God says, you're a fool. Whoa. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, counsel the Lord. That shall stand. So the point, friends, it's not wrong to want the reality, the conscious reality of Jesus Christ. I want that. But there have been times, and Patrick can tell you the same things, when you get hit before you get into the pulpit with all kinds of crazy stuff. Or maybe I think, oh, i got to get right with that team member or this or that. You know what I can immediately say? It's hallelujah, I'm in Jesus. I'm going to get all that taken care of when I can, but I'm going to trust Jesus Christ. And although there is no sense of his presence, you can walk into his pulpit, the pulpit based on truth, preach, and watch God marvelously work. Why? Because we're not determining reality by what we experience or feel. We're determining reality by what he says. <laughs> And what I find, friends, as you stay on reality, experience will catch up with it. So here's what I do when I'm looking at the instrument panel. You know, God, you may sense like you're a long way off, but I'm, I know, I'm, best I know, I've gotten everything right. And God, I'm expecting you to show up in my life. Because you said, if you seek for me, you'll find me if you seek for, search for me with all your heart. So if we're seeking God with all of our heart, what should we expect? And the answer is him to show up. So when you're living by the instrument panel, you're expecting God to do what he said he'd do. God, I'm expecting you to lift the fog. In your time, I know you're going to lift it up. And God, I want you more than anything else. And I want this, you know, this, this spiritual fellowship with you. I want to walk with you. But I realize I may, not, I may be in fog or I may be in darkness, and I'm going by the instrument panel, but I'm expecting the day to dawn, and I'm expecting the fog to lift. Why? Because you said so. But in the meantime, I'm still trusting you. I'm still dead to sin in Jesus. I'm still alive in the God in Jesus. I'm still at the right hand in Jesus. I'm still where you bless us with all spiritual blessings in Jesus. I'm still far above the enemy in Jesus. I, I, you, you, you get this? Which means nobody in this room has to be on a spiritual roller coaster. And if you are, again, I'm going to say it. I'm saying it over and over. I want you to get it. You're a fool. Now, I know it's not fun to get on your knees and say, God, I'm a fool but it's the start for recovery. Because some of you really meet with God, and then you go in the depths of despair. <laughs> and then you really meet with God, and then you go in the depths of despair. And then you really meet with God, and you track back, and God is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, my instrument panel, you got to start going by reality. And stop believing the deceptive illusion. It may be immersive. It may have smells to it. It may have wind that comes with it. It may have enormous graphics that come with it. And it may seem to fool you, but don't believe the illusion. 
believe you're five feet above the ground and you're completely safe. Don't worry about it. And so I want you to understand, young person, you get a hold of that, you'll have a great summer. Now, I'm going to tell you, when I get fogged in, I want God. Don't get me wrong. I want God. But I've learned I can step in the pulpit and God do marvelous things, and I'm fogged in. I want to get you, young man. There's times it's dark. I may be particularly close with this. I remember a young preacher years ago, and he has reminded me of this conversation multiple times. In fact, I think uh, on the video they did last year, he was on there saying this. He came to me one day and said, Brother Van Gelman, I, I prepared to preach. I claim God's promises. And man, he said, I preached and nothing happened. And my response was this. How do you know? Because if you were looking at the instrument panel, you don't have to see it to believe that it happened. I'll tell you, young person, it'll keep you out of the ups and downs in preaching. Just believe God's going to work. Why? I transacted business. I was looking at the instrument panel. <laughs> and God's doing it even, I don't know, it's like years ago, I remember this kid coming forward. It was a tough Christian school. This kid comes forward, really rebel kid. He's balling, totally broken. Just blowing snot. You know what I'm talking about? The whole thing, you know. I just love it, man. He's just a mess. And, and the team captain who dealt with him said this. When God start dealing with you? And I'll never forget his answer because he told me later. And it blew me away. Oh, he said, on Monday, God started taking me. It was every day. It started on Monday. And you know what I would have said? Could have fooled me. I didn't think anything was happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But you know what I've learned? Oh, it's happening. If you're looking at the instrument panel, it's happening. Why? Because, friends, we're all about reality. We're not worried about experience. Because experience can be an illusion. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Now, I'm going to be a little tough on you here for your own sake. How many would say, you know, preacher, i got to admit it. I'm talking not weeks ago or months ago. I'm talking recently. You say, preacher, i got to admit it. According to that verse and according to what God knows in my heart, I've been a fool. Would you just lift your hand? 